Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and we're reading today from John G. Patton's life story. He's the man who lived 30 years among cannibals in the South Sea Islands. Today, by the way, in case you were wondering, that place is called Vanuatu, not the New Hebrides any longer, but Vanuatu. Look it up on your map. We're in chapter 20, a typical South Sea trader. The prejudices and persecutions of heathens were a sore enough trial, but sorer and more hopeless was the wicked and contaminating influence of, alas, my fellow countrymen. One, for instance, a Captain Winchester, living with a native woman at the head of the bay as a trader, a dissipated wretch, though a well-educated man, was angry, forsooth, at this state of peace, Apparently there was not the usual demand for barter, for the fowls, pigs, and so on, in which he traded. He developed at once a wonderful interest in their affairs, presented all the chiefs around with powder, caps, and balls, and lent among them a number of flash muskets. He urged them not to be afraid of war, as he would supply any amount of ammunition. I remonstrated, but he flatly told me that peace did not suit his purposes. Incited and encouraged thus, these poor heathen people were goaded into a most unjust war on neighboring tribes. The trader immediately demanded a high price for the weapons he had lent. The price of powder, caps, and balls rose exorbitantly with every fresh demand. His yards were crowded with poultry and pigs, which he readily disposed of to passing vessels." and he might have amassed great sums of money but for his vile dissipations. Captain Winchester, now glorying in the war, charged a large hog for a wine glass full of powder, or three or four balls, or, or ten gun caps. He was boastful of his good luck in getting rid of all his old muskets and filling his yards with pigs and fowls. Such is the infernal depth to which we can sink, when the misery and the ruin of many are thought to be more than atoned for by the wealth and prosperity of a few who trade in their doom. Miyaki, the war chief, had a young brother, Rarip by name, about eighteen years of age. When this war began, he came to live with me at the mission house. After it had raged some time, Miyaki forced him to join the fighting men but he escaped through the bush and returned to me saying, Missy, I hate this fighting. It is not good to kill men. I will live with you. Again, the war chief came and forced my dear young Rarip to join the hosts. Of course, I could only plead. I could not prevent him. This time he placed him at his own side in the midst of his warriors. On coming in sight of the enemy and hearing their first yells as they rushed from the bush, a bullet pierced young Rarip's breast, and he fell dead into the arms of Miyaki. The body was carried home to his brother's village with much wailing, and a messenger ran to tell me that Rarip was dead. On hasting thither, I found him quite dead in the center of a tragic ceremonial. Around him, some sitting, others lying on the ground, were assembled all the women and girls, tearing their hair, wounding themselves with 
split bamboos and broken bottles, dashing themselves headlong to the earth, painting all black their their faces, breasts, and arms, and wailing with loud lamentations. Men were also there, knocking their heads against the trees, gashing their bodies with knives till they ran with streaks of blood, and indulging in every kind of savage symbol of grief and anguish. My heart broke to see them, and to think that they knew not to look to our dear Lord Jesus for consolation. I returned to the mission house and brought a white sheet and some tape in which the body of dear young Rarip was wrapped and prepared for the grave. The natives appeared to be gratified at this mark of respect, and all agreed that Rarip should have, under my direction, a Christian burial. The men prepared the grave in a spot selected near to his own house. I read the word of God and offered prayer to Jehovah with a psalm of praise amidst a scene of weeping and lamentation never to be forgotten. And the thought burned through my very soul, Oh, when, when will the Tanis realize what I am now thinking and praying about, the life and immortality brought to light through Jesus? As the war still raged on, and many more were killed, vengeance threatened the miserable traitor. Miyaki attacked him thus, You led us into this war. You deceived us, and we began it. Rarip is dead, and many others. Your life shall yet go for his. Captain Winchester, heartless as a dog, so long as pigs and fowls came to the yard at whatever cost to others' lives, now trembled like a coward for himself. He implored me to let him and his uh, wife sleep at my house for safety but I refused to allow my mission to be in any way identified with his crimes. The natives from other islands, whom he kept and wrought like slaves, he now armed with muskets for his defense. But having no faith in their protecting or even warning him, he implored me to send one of my teachers to assist his wife in watching until he snatched a few hours of sleep every day, and if awake... He would sell his life as dearly as he could by aid of musket and revolver. The teachers were both afraid and disinclined to go, and I could not honestly ask them to do so. His peril and terror became so real that by night he slept in his boat anchored out in the center of the bay with his arms beside him and a crew ready to start off at the approach of danger and lose everything, while by day... He kept watch on shore, armed and also ready to fly. Thus his miserable existence dragged on, keeping watch alternately with his wife, till a trading vessel called and carried him off with all that he had rescued, for which deliverance we were unfeignedly thankful. The war, which he had wickedly instigated, lingered on for three months, and then by a present given secretly to two leading chiefs, I managed to bring it to a close. But feelings of revenge for the slain burned fiercely in many breasts, and young men had old feuds handed on to them by the recital of their father's deeds of blood. Chapter 21 Under Axe and Musket About this time our Sabbath audiences at the mission numbered forty or so. Noir and uh, three or four more, and, and only they, 
seemed to love and serve Jesus. They were, however, changeable and doubtful, though they exerted a good influence on their villages and were generally friendly to us and to the worship. One morning at daybreak, I found my house surrounded by armed men, and a chief intimated that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave myself away, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus for what seemed the last time on earth. Rising, I went out to them and began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me and contrasting it with all my conduct towards them. I also plainly showed them what would be the sad consequences if they carried out their cruel purpose. At last, some of the chiefs, who had attended the worship, rose and said, Our conduct has been bad, but now we will fight for you and kill all those who hate you. Grasping hold of their leader, I held him fast till he promised never to kill anyone on my account, for Jesus taught us to love our enemies and always to return good for evil. During this scene, many of the armed slunk away into the bush and those who remained entered into a a bond to be friendly and to protect us. Uh, But again, their public assembly resolved that we should be killed because, as they said, they hated Jehovah and the worship, for it made them afraid to do as they had always done. If I would give up visiting the villages and praying and talking with them about Jehovah, they intimated that they would like me to stay and trade with them as they liked the traders but hated the missionaries. I told them that the hope of being able to teach them the worship of Jehovah alone kept me living amongst them, that I was there not for gain or pleasure, but because I loved them, and I pitied their estate, and I sought their good continually by leading them to know and serve the only true God. But my enemies seldom slackened their hateful designs against my life, however calmed or baffled for the moment. Within a few days of the above events, when natives in large numbers were assembled at my house, a man furiously rushed on me with his axe. But a Kasserimini chief snatched a spade with which I had been working and dexterously defended me from instant death. Life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made. And yet with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed on Calvary, and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Next day... A wild chief followed me about for four hours with his loaded musket, and though often directed towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our dear Lord Jesus, I left all in his hands and felt immortal until my work was done. Trials and hairbreadth escapes strengthened my faith and seemed only to nerve me for more to follow, for they did tread swiftly upon each other's heels. Without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, 
Nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. His words, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, became to me so real that it would not have startled me to behold him as Stephen did, gazing down upon the scene. I felt his supporting power, as did St. Paul, when he cried, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. It is the sober truth, and it comes back to me sweetly after twenty years, that I had my nearest and dearest glimpses of the face and smile of my blessed Lord in those dread moments when musket, club, or spear was being leveled at my life. All the bliss of living and enduring as seeing him who is invisible. One evening I awoke three times to hear a chief and his men trying to force the door of my house. Though armed with muskets, they had some sense of doing wrong and were wholesomely afraid of a little retriever dog which had often stood betwixt me and death. God restrained them again, and next morning the report went all around the harbor that those who tried to shoot me were smitten weak with fear, and that shooting would not do. A plan was therefore deliberately set on foot to fire the premises, burn the premises, and club us if we attempted to escape. But our Anitomi's teacher heard of it, and God helps us to frustrate their designs. When they knew their plots were revealed to us, they seemed to lose faith in themselves, and cast about to circumvent us in some more secret way. Their evil was overruled for good. Next time, chapter 22, a native saint and martyr. A native saint and martyr. Thank you so much for being here. Do come back. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.